Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Welcome to Man Challenge. So glad you guys are, are here. You know, a lot of times, or sometimes, we may stand up here and use this as like a, a go Kentucky, go Louisville, go Tennessee. I tell you what, all three are in trouble right now, okay? So we won't, we won't, we won't go there. I'm glad you guys are here. Hey, I want to highlight two things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time up here today. But one of the things that we want to do is obviously we want you guys or all of us to take the next step of faith spiritually. The next step of faith, what that may be mentally. But also we want you guys to take that next step physically. If we're going to be honest, okay, if we're going to preach this gospel with effectiveness and we're going to be around for our families the long haul, we have to take care of our bodies. Now that could be rest, that could be what we're eating, but that's also getting in some kind of shape. Now, I'm not saying you have to go seven days a week. But what I am saying is we want to take care of ourselves. CrossFit started, I think it was in 1996. And what they say about CrossFit is, yeah, you get an incredible workout, but what they do is they build an incredible, incredible community. And they're able to have some great conversations within that group. With Southeast Men's Fitness, Don, Don Temple and Mike Brady, they lead that on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Okay, at 6 o'clock, 6 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, over at the Activity Center. They build a community there, and they work out, and they sweat, and they have a good time, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you say, well, man, I can't keep up. You're not getting a medal, and we're not asking you to run the mini, but maybe we just walk to get the mail, or walk around the block, or do something to get our bodies moving. It's only going to make us better as men. So if you have any, um, any questions on Southeast Fitness, see me afterwards. I can connect you uh, to Don and, and Mike. I want to also um, give a little commercial on something that we do the first Thursday of every month. It's a very powerful thing where, men, we did it this morning, 515, that we prayed. And from 515 sharp to 545 sharp, we pray for our church. That's one of the greatest things that we can do. Prayer is not part of the work. Prayer is the work. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And there's something amazing about that. I heard a story recently of this, um, this bar and tavern that wanted to come. And they, they bought this plot of land right next to this church. And this church was a little upset that this bar and tavern was grown, being built right next to the church. So they started to kind of pray, not kind of pray, they did pray. This prayer group started to grow, but this tavern started to grow as well. And then one day, um, it was about two months before the construction was over for this tavern, um, a big storm came in, and it struck the tavern. Lightning struck the tavern. It burned down, actually. They were, um, the church was subpoenaed to court that the tavern was suing the church. They said that their prayers were so effective. And they go, um, they go to the church, or they go to the court. And, um, and the tavern says, yes, it was the prayers of the church that burnt our place down. The defense of the church, the lawyer says, what? It wasn't our, it wasn't our prayers that made the lightning actually strike the church, start the fire. So they're kind of going back and forth, and then the judge stands up and says, I don't know how I'm going to judge. We're going to take a recess. I don't know what my verdict's going to be. But I'll tell you this. The tavern owner believes in the power of prayer <laughs> when the church may not. Hey, man, there's something powerful in prayer that when men come together, and we're not doing it every week, but if you guys in this room, if the next Thursday, first Thursday of the month, we can make it a point to meet down in atrium 106 we're going to pray 
We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray for our family. And we're going to watch God work. I'm excited about our continuation of the series. Last week, we looked at the story of Joseph. And that Joseph had these dreams. And his brothers were getting upset. And that anger is starting to fester. It's starting to get deeper. They're starting to hate this guy even more. And there's great parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Okay, our speaker today, come on out, Terrence. Terrence um, has been here several times before. Give it up for Terrence. Hey, man, I'm not going to ask you 50 questions. I'm ready to, right. to hear you um, to get into your Bible. Um, married to Brittany for how many years? 12 years? It's going to be 12 years, 14 together. 12, 12 years, 14 together. Four kids, three mm -hmm. boys and a girl. That girl came up. And how's life been different with the girl? Uh, it's, it's been one of those things where I think it's helped uh, me as a father learn to be gentle with all my children. I think having to naturally wanting to parent my daughter different first was like, okay, she's a girl, but then it convicted me of like, okay, if you can be compassionate with your daughter, give some of that compassion to your boys too. So it's, it's been really challenging to me in that way. That's a good word. Well, I just talked about prayer. Um, if you were to be uh, kind of open up the chest cavity and let your heart out a little bit. What's something that's stirring your heart to prayer that you're, you're praying that God will move in a mighty way? Yeah, man, I think this year has been real unique for me. Um, I got really convicted coming into the year just to, to change my habits. And so I felt the spirit put on my heart 4.30 a.m. So since January, I've been waking up at 4.30 and uh, going out into my living room, cut, uh, get a cup of coffee, uh, I read and I pray until about 6.45. And when my, my family starts stirring. And what convicted me of that was uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, pursue love and all the spiritual gift, and even more that you may prophesy. And uh, there's a theologian named Sam Storms that Sam Reader introduced me to. He says that, that that verse is the verse that Christians disobey the most without any question about it. Mm. I know about we don't pray to prophesy, we don't pray to pursue love. And so I've been doing that every morning that I can. There's sometimes I failed, uh, but like there ain't no combination in that. Like, um, but it's been amazing what's happened in, in my life in that time. Uh, there's been some um, radical reconciliation in my life uh, with a former uh, boss um, who I was harboring anger against. God just created space for me to forgive and for us to be reconciled. Um, uh, it, it created space for me uh, to be reconciled with a, uh, a grandparent um, that I had decided that uh, life was better without. Uh, God convicted me on that. Um, he even uh, just called me to uh, speak life and words into people that otherwise I probably wouldn't have that have really encouraged people. Some have come Pray. back bored. They just stopped talking to me because it was a hard word, um, mm -hmm. but it was a word in love. And so it's just been amazing what God does when we make room for him. So that's just that's what I've experienced. That's good. Let yeah. me pray for you. Yeah. Father, I pray that, that this man will, will hide behind his Bible. Lord, he, hadn't had, he does not have to be motivational or inspiring. Just be clear and that your word will do what only it can do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, prayer, prayer is one of those powerful things. If, if you need any more evidence of prayer outside of that story, just look at what's happening over in the U.K. where people are being arrested for praying in these safety zones, right? There are people who go in Europe around these abortion clinics and they have these safety zones around these clinics and around these places in the city. And if, a, if somebody believes that a Christian is in that space in their mind thinking against what's happening in that building or praying in their minds, they can be arrested for it. And that's another picture of how people who don't believe what we, what we believe still believe there's something to what we believe. And so if we don't walk in that, uh, then who will? And so I really challenge you all, especially as men, uh, to begin to take that mantle of not just, you know, showing up at places, not just knowing your theology, not just being able to argue somebody down on why the world is going to end this way versus why the world is going to end this way. But do the hard work. That stuff's not hard. You're just regurgitating what somebody else thought 200 years ago. All right. The hard work is, is getting on your knees even with the arthritis, even with the bad knee you blew out in the ninth grade, you could have went to the NFL. 
right? It's, it's getting down there and having some grit before the Lord and just and praying and leaving things to his hands, right? And that's what I've been learning uh, this year, and it's been really challenging to me, so I want to pass it on to anybody I can. Um, Psalm 105 begins this way. It says, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. It says, sing to him, yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. And if we skip ahead to verse 15, speaking of some of God's wonderful deeds, it says this, he warned kings on their behalf, do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my prophets. He called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off his food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. So if you have your Bibles, I'm sure you do, you can meet me in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 36. So we got, we got a little ways to go this morning. We got 24 verses to look at. But I wanted to frame what we read today and what God says about this moment. Because what we're going to read is a hard story. What we're going to read is a story that just really doesn't quite make sense to my, my human mind of how this could happen. But I wanted us to read it from the framework of what God says it is. So God says that this crazy story we're about to read is, is, a, is a wonderful deed that he did for his people. And so we're going to treat it that way. We're going to see what we can get from it this morning. So picking up in verse 12, I'm just going to read. It's going to be on the screen. You have it on, in front of you. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And it says this, speaking of Joseph, it says, His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from him, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, Reuben's the older brother, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. Now, a lot of theologians say this moment was not just Reuben's uh, sheer heart for his brother, but Reuben had gotten into some trouble prior to this. And as the, as the firstborn, he, he, wasn't in a, he wasn't in a good spot with his father. So a lot of theologians believe this was his attempt to earn his father's favor because he could not afford for his father's favorite son to all of a sudden die under his care. If whatever he did before this caused him to kind of get a demotion, this for sure was going to cause him to get a demotion. So he's thinking in many ways, okay, how do I walk out what it means to be the firstborn? What does it mean to, to lead my family? Picking up in verse 23, it says, When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. It's crazy, right? They literally, they just jumped the dude and then went and got some KFC and sat down and said, it's all good. Cold-blooded, man. Uh, they looked up and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were carrying uh, aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brothers and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Funny thing about Judah, and when you translate that uh, uh, to Greek, it's, it's Judas. And he's selling, he's selling a brother. Really, really convenient, huh? His brothers agreed. <clears throat> when Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy's gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a young goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol, to the place of the dead, to my son, mourning, and his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard. Bless the reading of God's word. That was a lot there. Hopefully you got a picture of the story. And today I want to do the best I can to kind of pause us in this scene. You know, <clears throat> knowing the story, it's really easy to kind of jump ahead and jump around and kind of reveal some of the things that are going to happen before we get there. And I just want to try my best to, to keep us just in these 24 verses. I want to try my best to keep us focused right where we are and sit in this moment. I want us to sit in this paradox of something being called a, a wonderful deed of God and the emotional story like this conjures up in our human nature. It's a story that if I wanted to convince people of God's goodness, I, I, I might not include. But then again, this story is exactly why I believe and I love this book so much, because even in the parts that seem ugly to us, we're ushered into a, a, a beautiful truth that is overwhelmingly beneficial and edifying to our lives. Now, as I say that, a framework that has been helpful for me in reading narratives in Scripture uh, is to, number one, look at it from a heavenly perspective. When I say that, I mean like we're looking at what's God's intentions in the story and, and what, 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 what are the plans that God has for the story. And then the second lens that is helpful is to look at something from an earthly perspective, and that's looking at it from the human experience. So if I was in this story, if I was the person re receiving this moment, uh, how might I have walked through this experience? There's a pastor up in Canada named John Thompson. He, he kind of models this a lot in his, in his writings and his teaching. He calls this upstairs theology and downstairs theology. So seeing it from heaven and then seeing it from the experience of a human. In that regard, today, uh, I, want our, I want us to sit in our passage and I want us to look at uh, two themes that kind of rise to the top in these 24 verses. The first is obedience and the second one is sin. So we're going to keep it real plain and simple this morning. The first one is obedience, and the second one is sin. And here's my thesis statement for this morning. All right? I like to think I'm smart. I went to college three times. I got two and a half degrees. Um, here's my thesis statement. Whether it's walking in obedience or sin, it begins with small decisions in one direction. Whether it's walking in obedience or walking in sin, it begins with small decisions in one direction. First thing you need to know is that obedience always begins with the point of decision. Our story with Joseph begins with a request from his father and a simple, I'm ready to go, was his response. This willingness to obey his father ultimately served as the catalyst for all that was to come in Joseph's life. 
When Joseph said yes to go check on his brother, he had no clue that he was about to get jumped. He just said yes. For, for Joseph, this decision was a commitment to a journey. Commentators point out that the distance between their home and where his brothers might have been working in Shechem was about 50 miles. All right, a, a, a multi-day journey for him to get there to get the report and then a multi-day journey back to deliver the report. We learned that when he gets to where he thought his father was calling him to go, his brothers were nowhere to be found. And because of that, the original ask of his father that he thought meant going to Shechem now means going another 15 miles to Dothan. From his example, we realize that obedience is not just a in-the-moment or one-time decision. Instead, it is a conscious journey we take that might require a series of decisions we didn't anticipate making along the way. We learned that obedience is not just starting out on a journey. It's not just getting going. That's the beginning of it. But, but obedience is doing whatever it takes to finish. How does that help our faith? Well, it gives us a framework to understand that like Joseph, uh, our journey of faith and what we are called to in various seasons might include some moving targets. And when the targets move, the call of obedience is to reroute and remain faithful. It's walking by faith and not by sight. It's, it's being anchored in what we said yes to, get this, more than what we might like to do. For some of you, that's a word for your marriage this morning. God has called you to continue to be faithful and obedient as a husband. But it seems like when you said yes at the altar, the target has moved. And the call for you this morning is to be anchored more in what you said yes to than what you feel like doing today. For some of you, that's a word for your sobriety journey. As you pursue obedience to fight an addiction that has tried to chase you down for much of your life. Some days it feels like the target has moved. Some days what works doesn't work on the other days. And it feels like you don't have power. The call is to remain committed to what you said yes to more than, than what it feels like in the moment. The call is to stay faithful. For somebody else, that, that might be your word to keep going on with the vision that God gave you years ago to impact the kingdom. This is your word to fan that flame again. Maybe COVID came along and, and something that you knew God gave you to do, you put down. Or maybe financial circumstances changed or, or maybe a sickness entered your life. Maybe something drastic happened in your life and in your story and maybe you have stopped fanning the flame of a mission that God specifically gave you to do. This is your call to reorganize. This is your call to get back up and keep going because on the other side of your obedience uh, might be something for somebody else that if you don't get started, it won't happen. For all of us, this is a word for our journey of faith. That sometimes obedience coincides with inconvenience. We like, we all will boldly uh, denounce prosperity preachers, but we love prosperity gospel. Everybody wants to yell at Benny Hinn for smacking people with a jacket. And everybody wants to yell at the dudes selling prayer cloths at 2 a.m. in the morning. But we don't yell at the man in the mirror that wants our moments of obedience to be easy and profitable to our lives. The narrative, the narrative of Scripture clearly states that sometimes obedience will be the hardest thing you ever experience in your life. Sometimes obedience is literally walking willingly in hardship. And so we need to receive that. We need to understand that. And Joseph is teaching us that in this morning. From downstairs and, and in our line of sight, this can feel frustrating at times. There have been times that I call myself questioning God. Like, like I'm pointing out to God, like, all the things that I'm doing right. Like, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. 
man, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm in church, I'm discipling, I'm sharing my faith. I'm giving, matter of fact, I'm giving more than 10%. Like, I mean, I'm I'm really like, man, I'm praying. God, I'm doing all these things, but, but why is my life so hard right now? And as we process that real experience that I think we all can maybe understand, I challenge us to see it from the upstairs perspective. Anything we go through, we have to set our eyes on what God might be doing through the moments. Two of my favorite verses that help me understand that are found in the book of Romans. Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.29. The more famous verse is Romans 8.28 when it says all things work for the good of those who love the Lord, those that are called according to his purpose. Like, we've seen that written uh, all over things. Like, one of my favorite songs from Lecrae is based on that verse. Like, like it, it is a powerful verse that, that many believers cling to when things don't go right. But I believe the verse after it gives us insight into what 28 means. And in verse 29, it says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So in essence, when you say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, nothing you experience is wasted. In fact, as a follower of Christ, you are guaranteed, guaranteed to go through a process that conforms you into the image of Christ. And when we read verses like that, we forget that that sometimes implicit in that image of Christ is crucifixion. Following the example of Joseph and that of Jesus teaches us that hardship along the path of obedience uh, might just be evidence of our obedience. Right. Take your mind back to when you were in the weight room back in the day and, 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 your, and your, if you played sports and your coach would, would yell out something like, if it ain't if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. Right. When, when I get a haircut and they throw that alcohol on their hand, they smack my neck. Like if it ain't burning, it ain't working, man. You got to get some burn back there to make sure that it's killing everything that might try to grow. Right. Like sometimes walking in obedience is that hurting. Like sometimes being conformed to the image of Christ is going to feel like nails being driven through our hands and our feet. Sometimes it's going to feel like the enemy is whipping us 40 lashes minus one. Like sometimes being conformed to the image of Christ means being uh, faithful unto death. We know that that's the story of some people. But sometimes it's it's death in the spiritual because faithfulness to Jesus unto death in the spiritual might might break a chain off of your family lineage that has been there for generations. Facts are sometimes walking with Jesus is hard. Coming to man challenge, we don't want to fool you. We don't want you to think that following Jesus is just showing up here, hearing some a top-of-the-line worship, and a sermon that is exactly 32 minutes every time, and, and you get out of here and you're at Cracker Barrel right at 1110. Like, like, we don't want you to believe that that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's a gift from God in following Jesus. But following Jesus is, is having some grit about yourself. Following Jesus is, is, is fighting Satan. Like following Jesus is doing hard lifting to be conformed and made into the image of Christ. So in doing that, don't let what's hard nullify what's good and right. All because it's hard don't mean that it's right. All because it's hard to pursue your wife in this season don't mean it's not right. All because it's hard not, not to, to, to flip over that, open that computer at 2 a.m. don't mean that it's not right. All because it's, it's, it's hard to, to respect your boss who disrespects you doesn't mean that it's not right. We're just called to walk a certain way as followers of Jesus. And so here's the application. Uh, obedience is not fulfilled in the decision, but in the destination. Don't count yourself obedient until you get to the end. That's the call of the Christian life. 
The whole, all throughout Scripture, uh, uh, Paul talks about finishing strong, finishing well, setting your eyes on what's to come. Jesus told a parable about being, being uh, found ready when he returns, to be in the field working. The, the call of obedience is not just getting to the water. The call of obedience is fin- finishing the journey until Jesus returns or until you die. Our second focal point today is sin. Uh, a simple definition is to miss the mark. Or as Dr. Tony Evans puts it, uh, sin is missing the mark of putting God on display as those with the responsibility of bearing his image. That's a simple but great definition. Sin is any time, whether before man or before the principalities and the evil spirits of this world, sin is when we miss the mark of putting God's authoritative reign on display. Anytime we forget in public or in private to bear the image of God. In our passage this morning, three truths about sin rise to the surface. Number one, we see through all throughout this passage that personal sin is never personal in impact. Like we might think our sin is personal, but it's never personal. The personal sin we walk in will always have an impact on your life. Man, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going I'm, I'm to be real with you. I'm going to tell you something that, that maybe you need to hear. Listen, when, when pornography had a, a chokehold on my life as a husband, I, I, can, I can tell you that every time that I said yes to pornography, it was about four days of strife with my wife. She had no clue that I watched porn, but something in the spiritual realm just wasn't right in our relationship anymore. Until, and until I submitted to God and I repented of my sin and I committed my mind to fighting back, it didn't get fixed. It was a guarantee. Every time I said yes to going to the website and, and, and doing what I wanted to do, it had a spiritual ramification in my household. And the deeper truth is that every time that I committed to doing that in my household, I was setting an environment for my three boys to grow up and pick it up where I left it. Sin is never personal. It always has a bigger impact than just us. The second thing is this, that generational sin, though the same in heart, can look different in practice. All throughout this story, we see the same generational sin of deception in this family. We see the same generational sin of favoritism in this family. Generations. The reason that, 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 that uh, Jacob or Israel walked in favoritism was because his dad did. And here we are seeing it play out again. Generational sin may look different, but it's the same at heart. So we got to have eyes to see. We can't just be focused on one name of a sin. We got to be focused on a a, a rhythm of a sin. Uh, uh, What a sin looks like at its core, and we got to fight there. The third thing is this, is that sin... Though it is against God, it's never outside of the providence of God. Like, I like to think of the Christian life like this. Uh, the Christian's life is, is, is a maze. There's really only one way to, to, to get through the maze. And God has already designed this maze. And he gives us freedom to run through this maze. And if you want to, you can walk in patience. You can walk in connection to God. You can be aware of your surroundings, and you can get through a corn maze pretty quickly if you're just patient. But sometimes the Christian life is being that dude that gets in a corn maze and says, let's go! You just take off, you're running, and you realize you've went two miles this way in the corn maze, and now it's getting dark, and you're like, oh, man, I don't even know how to get out of here. Like, ultimately, the way out is the same for the guy that was patient. But sometimes we have to go on these journeys in order to learn a new rhythm. And so understand this, like as you go through this journey, as sin is is a part of your journey, like it's never outside of God's providence. God will use your sin to conform you to the image of Christ as well. Whether that's leaving you to the hands of Satan so that your salvation may be preserved, as Paul said, whether that's your sin blowing up your life and causing you to deal with the consequences, or whether that's him giving you a moment of clarity of his grace and you just come to him in repentance 
and you just get a vision of what your sin might be leading you to. Like God's providence is still over our sin. As we advance in our story, we know that looking back, sin has, like I said, been a, a foundation in this family for a long time. If we go back generationally, Joseph's father, Jacob or Israel, manipulated his brother to take his birthright. Then, with the help of his mother, tricked his father to receive a bigger inheritance. While on the run for what he did, Jacob was tricked by his future father-in-law in marrying the wrong daughter and ultimately led to him marrying a pair of sisters. Then fast forward to this chapter, we find a family in utter dysfunction of multiple children and multiple wives with a father walking in blatant favoritism towards one son who, like all of us, was imperfect in handling the favor on his life with wisdom. In the backdrop are a band of brothers who received Joseph's favorite position from a place of unrepentant jealousy and hatred. Like, like what we have here is like the perfect episode. If that was ever like the CW, if they wanted to do a mashup episode of like Jerry Springer, Maury, and Judge Mathis, like this, this, would be the, this would be the family for it. Like I would watch this every day. They could do a whole season, 13 episodes on this family. So, so as we process our story, it was from that condition. It was from that condition that Joseph's father sent him to get a report about his brothers. And likewise, it was in that condition of sin that Joseph's brothers received the sight of him coming towards them in his Gucci jacket, in his red boots that everybody's trying to buy now, like, just looking like the man, right? They saw him coming over the hill, and all they saw was the glory. And, and, and the sin inside of them ate them up. And we learned that two things kind of happened in this moment, if we really sit in the moment. Like, I was sitting here reading the scripture, and I was like, okay, this story is moving fast. There's some pieces in here that we kind of got to fill in ourselves to kind of really understand, like, like the, the level of, of anger that these brothers had and, and, and the level of like unawareness that Joseph and his father had to be walking into. And here's two things that I kind of noticed. Like somewhere between verse 2 of this chapter and verse 19 of this chapter, uh, Joseph has stopped working as a shepherd with, uh, with his brothers. Verse 2 says he worked for his half-brothers, and now he's at home chilling while his brothers are out working the field. Something happened in between there where Joseph was subordinate and working alongside his brothers, carrying the weight of the family. And now he gets to hang out at home in the comfort of rest while his brothers are out multiple days caring for the flock. I don't care who you are. Like, like when I was little, like, if my brother didn't have to cut the grass too, I was mad. Like, if I had to wash the dishes and he got to watch TV, it was about to be a fight. Like somebody was going to get, somebody was about to fight. Either my mama was about to put me in a chokehold or like me and my brother about to get down. But like something's about to happen. And then secondly, uh, somewhere between verse 4 and verse 19 of the chapter, uh, Joseph's brothers had spent days and maybe months harboring hatred. They had been harboring jealousy and anger inside of themselves and probably talking about it amongst themselves. They, they had spent days and weeks and maybe months in clear, unrepentant sin that they had towards another person. Through a series of individual sinful decisions, we have a table set for the disaster we read about in this passage. As I think about that, my mind runs back to the first pair of shepherding brothers, Cain and Abel. When the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. But you must master it. From the beginning, 
from the earliest people, God gives us a framework that sin is not just an action we do, but sin in itself is a force, is a power. Sin, if I had to give it, it's, it's, it's the boogeyman under your bed. And it's just waiting for you to open the door so that sin can, so it can devour you, so that it can eat you alive. And so when we think about it from that framework and we look at these brothers who have harbored their anger for days, weeks, and months, how hungry and how big was that sin crouching at that door? It's almost as if these words were tailor-made for them. With the father who is fixated on the pride he finds in one child, that he misses the needs and his responsibility to the others. I want to pause right there for a second. I just want to speak to dads in the room. Ephesians 4, 6 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. In light of that verse, here's my charge to fathers. May we be fathers conscious of our bent and know that there might come a day when we realize one kid is easier to love and appreciate than the others. Maybe we are athletic and, and, and they are, or maybe we love the same hobby. Understand that the gift of that child doesn't nullify the gift and the value of the others. And though parenting one might seem to come easier, each of them require and deserve your undivided attention because each child, as the Bible says, are a heritage from the Lord. And I'm sharing that to you as a father who is walking through this right now. I shared a little bit about it, about my daughter. But, but, I, but I have one son that on some days, because he loves sports, it's easier for me just to get out in the front yard and appreciate him. And, I, or, and he loves Xbox. And I'm like, man, you want to play Madden? We play Madden together. And it's like, oh, man, I got like the friend I never had as a kid. And me and him can just get along. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that sometimes he gets more of my time than my other children. Sometimes I'm eager to, to, to go to his ball games than I am to go to my other kids' ball games because I know he's going to put up 10 points. He ain't going to dribble the ball off his foot, right? I'm running down the court, go. But my other son is playing, I'm walking the track. I don't even want to see it. He is not a Terman, no. Uh, but, but, but really, it, it, it was this conviction that came upon me because I knew what it felt like, if I had to be honest. I know what it, I know what it feels like to not be the favorite. And here I am, the next generation over, perpetuating the same thing. Not knowing that maybe some of the anger that my oldest feels sometimes is that he just doesn't naturally connect to his dad and he just feels like an eyeball because he can't just catch a football in the baseball. And instead he likes to get a good book and read so as a father, it was important for me to show him that, hey, man, I like to do those things, too. So let, let me sit in my chair and read so you see me reading so that we can collaborate. Let me take you to the library and let's just walk around the library together. Let me help you find a book. I don't do it perfect, but, but I can tell you that, that, that God wants us as fathers to be conscious of the needs of our children. Know our bent because we're bent to, to, toward certain things and be sanctified to go the other way to love what he's given us and entrusts us with. Now, for all of us, uh, here, here's, what, here's what we need to grasp from this scene. Uh, these brothers plotting to kill their little brother and then walking that out. Sin left untethered will produce destruction in our lives and to those around us. There's, there's no bones about it. Sin left untethered, left unbridled, if I want to use a Kentucky word, unbridled, uh, will produce destruction in our lives 
and to those around us. For Joseph, his family's untethered sin led to him walking into a moment that would end with him being beaten and put into shackles. He was on the receiving end of this untethered sin. Uh, For the brothers, their sin of anger, hatred, and jealousy led to malice that started in their minds and in their hearts that went to their conversation that ended in their actions. In light of this, I understand better why Jesus taught that murder, adultery, and sin inside of our minds and our hearts are no different than the actions we live out. Jesus taught that way. He taught that, he taught that standard because he knew the story. He knows where sin is going. Sitting in this story helps me better understand James 1, 14 through 15 that says, each one is tempted by his own evil desires when he is lured away and enticed. And he says this, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Like that is a commentary for Genesis 37, 12 through 36. And that might be a commentary for our lives. These brothers sinned against Joseph, an example of what it, uh, what it looks like when our brokenness is given a chance to reach its full potential. If the goodness in us can reach its full potential, we all know, we all know that story. We've all had the parent, the coach, or the teacher tell us of our potential and goodness. But sometimes we need to know the potential of our lives and walking in sin. We need to see that that terrible story too. Just as obedience begins with one decision as we learned and takes you on a journey as we learned and comes with a cost as we learned, you better believe sin does as well. Something inside tells me that enough of y'all in here understand that, though. Maybe like me, your your life is a living testimony of how sin can put you through something you never imagined. How sin might drag you away in shackles to a destination you never intended on visiting. For some, it was like Joseph. The sin of others against you has ravaged your life. And it's by the grace of God you were able to pick up the pieces. For others, you, you may be more like the brothers, where you've made room for sin. You've given birth to some crazy sin. And by the grace of God, you find yourselves around the table this morning, reminded of what you've done, but also what God has done to rescue you. For those that understand that, let today just be a reminder to never go back. Never go back. To those who've never gone to this place, and I know there's some some brothers in this room who who have been blessed, man, who grew up in a home that cared for you and nurtured you, and, and you have just literally walked in a way upright. And you haven't crossed that line into into some of the despicable sin that some of us have. Can I just tell you something? Like, as long as you're living that still a temptation, so, so let today be a foreshadow of what that looks like. Sometimes things we, we've never tasted are the most enticing. All these dumb people, if, you, if you're one of these dumb people, I'm sorry, but all these dumb people doing the one chip challenge, come on, man. Come on, man. How many videos you got to watch somebody about to die from eating one potato chip for you to go to the store and pay $5 to eat one potato chip to feel how bad it hurts? I was a probation officer for a couple years, and I would talk to some of my young offenders, and most of them had a drug problem. And more times than one, I would sit, I would sit across the table from an 18, 19-year-old who's now, you know, on probation for aggravated assault and drug possession. And I would say, hey, man, what happened? Hey, literally verbatim for many people. Man, I used to just, like, hang out with my buddy, smoke weed, and then one of them started doing meth. And I heard that once you try meth, you can't put it down. So I said, I want to see. That's like the dumbest logic I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but it's the logic that we walk in sometimes. Because these 
people weren't the only people. They heard the stories of how powerful this stuff was, and they believed that they had the willpower to fight back against it. This is like the dude that's living with his girlfriend and saying, God will give me the willpower not to have sex. Bro, shut up. Move out. You ain't, you ain't tricking nobody. Like, it's, it's just important for us to understand that, that sin is trying to take us somewhere. And I just want to speak to us in this room that may be sitting in unrepentant sin as well. Maybe you're sitting in the middle of some untethered sin. Uh, may, maybe you understand that what God's will is for your life, but you're just not willing to say yes. Maybe you know it's true, but you want to test and see how true it is. And you're just willing to continue to walk in unrepentant sin because you know what? It ain't, it ain't hurt your life yet. Can I just tell you that? Take my word for it. It will. It will. Man, I, I'm sitting up here as a dude, as a pastor. I'm thankful for what God has done in my life, man. But I've put my life in danger so many times for the sake of sin. I shared at my table last week. Uh, when I process sin in my life, my mind always goes back to this moment in college, man, where I was just drinking was drinking was the game. I just wanted to get out and get drunk, and and one night I got out and got drunk, and, and it just and it just went to the wrong place. Not only was I DUIing, but man, I, I had unprotected sex with this girl who I knew. But I was dating my now wife. This is a testimony. I was dating my now wife. We were a year into dating. And I got drunk, went out, was vulnerable to my sin, had sex with this girl, unprotected. Woke up the next morning, felt terrible about it, confessed. She broke up with me, was like, bro, we done. Funny thing about it, she made me call my mama and confess my sin to my mama because she knew my mama <laughs> was a minister. She's like, you need to call your mama. She tricked me, made me think if I confessed to my mom, she was going to stay with me, but she didn't. <laughs> she, just, she just made me tell my mama and embarrassed me. All right. But what I didn't know was that in that moment of decision, I also made a decision to contract a, a sexually transmitted disease that didn't manifest itself until later. And I had to go sit in that health clinic. I tell you, there ain't no feeling like a feeling when you know something is wrong, but you don't know quite what's wrong. And they tell you to pee in that cup and you have to wait for that panel to come back. I ain't never felt a feeling like that in my life. There's never been a moment in life where I thought, man, I might have AIDS. I might have HIV now. Like, and like, I might have ruined my life as a 19-year-old college football player with all these dreams in the world. There ain't never been a feeling that has grabbed me so hard. Now, praise God that what I had was something they can give you a pill for. <laughs> praise God. But, but man, it, it shook me to my core because I never thought I would be one of those dudes. And all the sin that I did in that time, even after I came to faith, the impact of it walked with me into my marriage. I'm married to my wife now. She forgave me. But something I did as a 19-year-old was something that we had to go to counseling about at 28 after walking with Jesus for years. The sin that we say yes to, it has an impact on your lives, man, and I promise you it's worth fighting. I know it's not easy, but you got to have a deeper understanding of the spiritual to understand what the enemy is trying to do. He's literally trying to take you out. He's trying to ruin your life. He knows that his end is hell. And he wants to take you there with him. Plain and simple. So we got to know the impact of it. So I want to say to some of you, let the anger go. I want to say to some of you, let the jealousy go. I want to say to some of you, let the unforgiveness go. I want to say to some of you, it's time to let the affair go. It's time to let the sex outside of wedlock go. It's time to let the porn go. It's time to let 
the mental fantasy that you just allow in your mind at the gym or, or at work. It's time to let that go. In brotherly love, it's time to trade your sin for obedience to the Father. Small steps will eventually get you somewhere. Where do you want to go? Here's the application. Uh, sin's power is not found in the action, but in the environment we create for it. The power of sin is not in the action, but it's in the environment we create for it. Sometimes sin is literally, sometimes running from sin is literally packing up and running from sin. If you're in an environment that's going to cause you to watch porn, get up and leave. Right? If going to the gym is going to make you tempted because the girls come in there and they wear what they want to wear, that's their prerogative. It's not their fault. Leave the gym, work out at home. If dating somebody right now, if that person, if that girl is not pursuing Jesus, can I tell you that you, you ain't going to save her? It's time to let her go. I don't care how long you've been dating. If you're trying to pursue Jesus and you ain't married to this person, why are you keeping yourself attached to the person? If they ain't willing to pursue Jesus, you're just setting yourself up for failure. May your love of God be more than your love for a woman. But you got to be willing to do the things that it takes to walk with Jesus. Here's a homework assignment I want to give everybody in the room. This has been impactful for me, and I think it fits with the story. Here's the homework assignment. Evaluate your life in three areas this week. I want you to look for hidden sin. Hidden sin is sin that you try to hide from others or that you don't confess to God. That's hidden sin. Unforgiveness. I want you to deep down inside your heart and find that person or those people who you need to forgive. I don't care what they did to you. The call of Jesus is total forgiveness. That person could have beat you and did everything in the world to you. Total forgiveness is what Jesus calls us to. It didn't say reconciling and doing life and eating lunch with a person. But he does say forgive a person. And then also repeated sin patterns. I want you to think about the repeated sin patterns in your life. I want you to think as a, as a strategic uh, project manager, right? Okay, this problem continues to happen. What are the things that continue to allow this to happen? What are my barriers for changing this? What are some innovations I can make to prevent this from happening again? What do you think analytically about the repeated sin patterns in your life? And then I want you to pray for healing. Pray for healing in the wounds that are in your heart. I want you to pray for deliverance. That word is not a word that we hear a lot in our modern evangelical church, but here's, here's the truth. Uh, demonic oppression is a part of walking on earth. And even though you say yes to Jesus, when you commit to walking in sin, you open up yourself to demonic oppression. And since we're, none of us are perfect, we're constantly opening ourselves up to demonic oppression. And so we have to ask for deliverance because these spirits are powerful and they have a specific assignment to take you out. But the Bible promises that we have a Holy Spirit and we have the authoritative name of Jesus to cast away any evil spirit that tries to come and attach itself to our life and our home, to our children, to our marriages. And that may have blown your mind because maybe you just like to think of your faith as naturalistic, but I'm telling you, the, the spiritual is more real than the natural. The spiritual will live forever. This will fade away. you got to understand the spiritual in order to walk in the natural. And then I'm going to ask you to pray to have the courage to change and to ask God for the strength to change, because you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Now, as we close, I think we would miss this beautiful moment to marvel at Christ as we learn about Joseph. Today we read the story of a son sent by his father to seek the welfare of his brothers. A son who was hated for his words and what he said about the future. This son, robed in the glory of his father, would faithfully go seeking his brothers until he found them, only to be conspired against, reviled, beaten, and thrown into a pit. He was sold for a price and sprinkled 
blood would hide the sin of his brothers before his father. Though Joseph walked faithfully and went through it, there is one who did it better. A beloved son, clothed in majesty, sent to seek and save the lost. But instead of being robed in his father's glory, he chose to strip himself and instead put on humility and came in the form of a baby in a manger. As a man, he was hated for his words and, and what he said about the future. This, this son would faithfully seek those he came to find, only to be conspired against, reviled, beaten, crucified, and laid in a tomb. He was sold for a price and had his blood poured out, not just to hide the sin of his brothers, but for the sins of the world. Jesus, the greater Joseph, in this story, invites us to no obedience and to forsake our sin, to one day stand before the Father, hidden behind his life and covered by his blood. If that is not your story, if that is not the future that you have, I invite you at your table to make that decision today. There will be no better decision you'll make in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for the challenge of your word. God, I thank you that you uh, help us see you in your scriptures. God, help us to see you and how you're working in our lives. Help us to be obedient. Help us to fight sin. Thank you for all you do. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.